now we're ready to start the conquest of the promised land. So they came up and you see where that little red star is in the upper right-hand corner of the slide there. And they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And the Lord has told them to go in and take this territory that he promised to Abraham over 400 years ago when Abraham and his wife Sarah did not even have a son. Now they have grown to a nation that might have had over 2 million people. We know that the scripture tells us they had 600,000 men of military age. And this group had to stay in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation that was unbelieving had died off. And now it's time to go in and take these people. And uh, that raises some hard questions. Why would the Lord authorize them to go in and, and uh, overtake people that were already living there? But we know the Lord told Abraham that they would have some years of grace and mercy. And these were people that worshiped idols and offered child sacrifices and did unspeakably evil things. And their time had passed. So here we are now in the book of Joshua. I'm gonna give you a synopsis of the book today. And so it's gonna be a wide angle lens and an overview again. It was probably written about 3,400 years ago and perhaps by Joshua himself. It was written in the language of Hebrew. It's got 24 chapters. And so I'm just gonna put us all in a bus and take us on this, this journey through looking at the highlights. We'll begin, we'll divide it up into seven parts and each one of the parts is one word that starts with the letter C. So you can kind of keep track of them all. Let's just begin with the first chapter, first verse, and see how it opens and what he says. And we will call this part one, the call. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, you know, Joshua had been being mentored by Moses all of those decades. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. You know, before Moses died, he went up on the mountain in Moab, and the Lord showed him. Now, you're not going to go in. He was 120 anyway, but he was still strong because the Lord had protected and preserved his strength. He said, you're not going in. You know, he had been told before because of an act of disobedience when he was frustrated and angry with the Israelites. You know, we have to hold the leaders to a really high standard. So you're not going to go into Canaan, but you can look. And then Moses died and where he was buried, no one knew. The Lord took care of that. Perhaps that prevented creating a shrine that would encourage the people to idolatry and making Moses somehow a god. Moses was done, and then you remember that clear back generations before, hundreds of years before, when Abraham had been called to this land, he was told to walk around, and so he went on a trek for who knows how many days, doesn't say exactly, everywhere you set your foot, I'm going to give you, and so we look up here, and we see where they had come to. Here they are on the east side of the river, and over on the other side, there's this walled city called Jericho. You remember the story. 
And this is what the Lord is telling this leader who watched what Moses did for over 40 years. God says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. What book of the law? Oh, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. And uh, meditate on it day and night. That sounds like somebody that's made a real decision to fervently follow the Lord, doesn't it? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. That's the theme of this book. We see those words, be strong and courageous, over and over. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And what was the point of this part one of the seven again? What were we calling that? Oh, the call. So God has given Joshua and these people that are following him, maybe a couple of million people, a definite and distinct job to do. It's a call. It's come and do this. This is for you. I'm giving it to you, but you have to go in and possess it. Okay. Well, that was an awfully long time ago. What does that have to do with me? I'm on a different continent in a different culture, in a different technological time, I speak a different language. It's not even the same religion. I mean, that was Judaism and this is Christianity. And you're telling me that somehow I'm supposed to find this relevant? Oh, God placing a call on someone's life. Let's see. Philippians 3.14, the apostle Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. He's called us. If you have decided to follow him, he has something for you to do. Even if you've only got 20 more minutes to live, he has something for you to do. There is a reason for our existence, and it's not just to be happy. We find fulfillment when we hear that call and we respond to it in kind. And in fact, we see that also in what Paul wrote to the man that he mentored, Timothy. He was referring to Jesus and he said, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. If my purpose could become his purpose, and I could get a hold of what it is that he's asking me to do. And then I could press forward every day, making progress as he directs. Then that would be the fulfillment of this scripture, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You mean he's not just winging it? He had a purpose since time immemorial for every single individual person who decides to call themselves by the name of Christ and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Beautiful, beautiful. So as we motor through this rather extensive book in just a few short minutes this morning, we'll start with the call as God started with Joshua when Joshua began his tenure as the leader of the Israelites. And that brings us to a really interesting story because 
They had to scout out this first place, Jericho, that I showed you in the map that was over the river. They couldn't just go barreling in. They had to know what they were getting into. And so some spies were sent by Joshua over to Jericho, and they got into the city. In fact, let's have a look at Joshua 2 here. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the lamb, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Okay, so they didn't make reservations ahead of time, but they needed a hotel and they found a place where a prostitute ran a hotel in her own home. It must have been pretty extensive. And her home was actually on the walls of the city. I mean, this was such a, a marvelous wall that on top of it, you could build a home. And they went around and they saw what they were getting into and what the people would need to do if they were going to invade this city. She brings them in, but word gets out because the Israelites weren't traveling through the wilderness for 40 years in secrecy or in a vacuum. The surrounding nations knew about it. Word traveled. People went around and they told things. They might have not had the internet or television or even telephone, but people knew what was going on. And so when these spies came into the city, the king got wind of it, and he sent some of his men to this hotel that this prostitute Rahab ran, and they said, where are the spies? Bring them out here. I mean, it was time to do an arrest, and who knows what torture and, and execution those men would be up for. But she throws them off the trail. Here she is, a pagan in a pagan city, and her life is in danger. And she's telling the guys, oh, yeah, they were here, but they left. They went outside the city, and uh, I don't know, maybe if you go up in the mountains, you can catch them. And those, those uh, policemen from the king bought the lie, and they took off. And then she went up on the roof where the men had been hiding under some flax that she was drying. You know, you spin linen thread from flax. And so they had that up on this flat roof drying. And they were underneath all of these plants in case the place was going to be searched by these policemen. And she goes up to them. And let's see, this was part two of seven. What was the name of that again? Confession, wasn't it? So here's this woman. And her nation is doomed to be destroyed because of these centuries of this debauchery and the Lord was going to judge the city. And she says this really interesting thing to these men. She starts out, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Are you tracking with me? Word traveled. This didn't happen in a vacuum. The people knew who the Israelites were and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Okay, and now look what she says. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And here comes the confession, part two. C is for confession. She says, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. 
She didn't say he is a God, kind of like the ones that we serve, or we know that you believe in this God. She makes a profession of faith. And then she says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you mean she had faith in this God and she put her money where her mouth was and she actually acted in faith by saving those spies and turning the people that were coming after them off of their trail, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. In other words, she made a confession or a profession of faith. She said, God is God and God alone. And I have faith and I'm asking you to save me and my family. Hmm. So maybe something that happened 3,400 years ago in a different time, in a different language, on a different continent, maybe that's as fresh and relevant as people coming to the altar today and saying, oh God, save me from my sins. It's an expression of faith. And by God's grace, I mean, she didn't deserve to live. She was a pagan. She was a prostitute. And they made a deal with her. They said, okay. When we attack, you stay in your house, you get all your family and you stay in the house. And if you will hang a red cord out your window so that the soldiers will know which house is yours, you'll be saved. And we read later, if we skip ahead in the story to Joshua 6, that Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared because she had the spies we sent. She put actions behind her faith. Her faith was evidenced by what she did. She confessed that God was the God of all the earth, and she was saved. And you know, the evidence of her repentance was that she married a man in the tribe of Judah and lived an honorable and respectable life. I mean, she didn't become the next prostitute in the nation of Israel, she was a true convert. And did you know that she is one of the few women listed in the genealogy of Christ in both Matthew and Luke in the New Testament? Confession. This is a beautiful picture of salvation. God calls people, and then we see how anyone can be saved. That kind of reminds me of John 3.16. Oh, by the way, see there? This is a cartoon of the destruction of Jericho when the walls came tumbling down. But look at that one house. It's not fallen. And there's a red cord hanging out the window. Symbolic of the blood of Christ, perhaps? Hmm. Beautiful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, not just the Jews, Whoever could be a woman who thought a lot about what had been being said over the past few weeks as the people cowered in fear and got ready to fight the children of Israel. And she thought about, you know, that God that could dry up the Red Sea and feed his people in the wilderness with manna for 40 years and cause water to gush out of a rock and cause them to have victory over the two nations of the Amorites, the kings of Sion and Og. You know, I think that 
I would like to follow him, and I'm going to ask them to save me. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That goes with what it says in Romans. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, so beautiful. So let's see. We have the call, and then we have the confession, and then next we have a picture of the covenant that God would like to have with his people. So we keep going, and after this, right before they actually attacked Jericho, after this spying, Joshua and the people had to get across the, the Jordan River. We don't think too much about it now because practically the whole world has pretty decent infrastructure, right? I mean, you want to go someplace and there's a body of water? Okay, look on the map. Where's the bridge? There was no bridge. Two million people, how are they going to get across the water? But reminiscent of the crossing of the Red Sea, we have God once again showing up for Joshua and the people of Israel and the priests who are carrying the ark on their shoulders, the ark of the covenant that God gave the instructions for on Mount Sinai that they had so carefully built according to the instructions that housed the Ten Commandments, that wood box covered with gold that had the gold lid and the cherubims that were leaning over the mercy seat that went in the Holy of Holies in the tent tabernacle in the wilderness. They stepped their foot into the water and the waters rolled back and all the people went across. And then we get to Joshua 5, and it's still right before this victory over Jericho that I told you about that saved Rahab. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And then it goes on to clarify that during that 40 years when the older generation was dying off, they never circumcised any of the younger generation. This was supposed to be the covenant between Abraham's descendants and God, a blood covenant and evidence of a contract. You know, a covenant is kind of like a contract on steroids, isn't it? It's not just a legal agreement. It's a, it's a hard agreement. All the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they'd come out of Egypt hadn't been circumcised. What, what does this mean here? Oh, you mean you can't just be a Christian by osmosis because your parents were? You mean you have to actually make a decision and make a covenant with the Lord yourself? And so it was their children whom he'd raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they hadn't been circumcised on their way. Well, why are we talking about this? We don't do this in the Christian church. Oh, but we do have baptism, don't we? So we make a profession of faith, and then the evidence of that covenant or contract is shown in water baptism. So beautiful. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Oh, I love that. What? Yes, reminds me of the beautiful old song, I remember when my burdens rolled away. Why did they say burdens rolled away? It harkens back to this scripture in the Old Testament about the circumcising of the children of Israel that had been in the wilderness 40 years. 
I had carried them for years, night and day. When I sought the blessed Lord and I took him at his word, then at once all my burdens rolled away. You know the chorus. Rolled away, rolled away. I am happy since my burdens rolled away. Rolled away, rolled away. I am happy since my burdens rolled away. Those things matter. It's not just, oh, well, yeah, there's some ritual in the Christian church. It's called baptism, but I don't know. It's really a matter of the heart. You don't have to do that. Yes, you do have to do that. We are called to obey the commands. God wants to make a covenant with us, just like he made with Israel. And after he saves us, we are to demonstrate that by being baptized in water. Beautiful covenant. A blood covenant. Circumcision was a blood covenant. And that reminds me kind of that right after this, they actually also had the Passover. So there they were with the lamb. And they slew the lamb and they placed the blood and they ate the flesh. And all the people remembered as they looked back to salvation from the slavery in Egypt. And we can see that it was a symbol that Jesus, the Passover lamb for us, would take away the sins of the whole world. Don't you remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper before he was crucified? Right before he went to Gethsemane, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. He likes symbols, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Covenant. So as we motor through this book of Joshua, we see the call on the lives of the people. And we see the confession of Rahab, who seems like the least likely of all the people we could have thought of who would be saved. And she became one of the children of God. And then we see the people celebrating this covenant. And now we get to part four. And we're going to call part four the captain strange little piece of the story only takes three verses we're in joshua 5 we haven't even attacked jericho yet so when joshua was by jericho he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand can you see that he probably did a double take so here's joshua and he's busy getting the people ready to go and you know, they've come across the river and they know they have this calling ahead of them. And there's this really strong walled city and they've made this deal with Rahab, but they haven't come against the city yet. And he looks up and he goes, who's that? And this man, he's a mighty military man. It was either a pre-incarnate version of Christ or the archangel of the Lord, who knows exactly. But he was obviously a military man, a captain, and he has this drawn sword in his hand, standing so regal. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the guy just said, no. Neither one of those choices is a possibility. It's C, none of the above. No, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord now. I have come. 
oh, wow. Well, if you're the commander of the army of the Lord, let me tell you, I am interested in what you have to say. Speak, I'm listening. What do you want me to do? So here's this Joshua, and he knows that there's this big job ahead of him, and he's got to lead all this people, and he is all ears. And maybe he's expecting to get all of this military strategy. Who knows what he thought they were going to say. But Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Okay, get ready. Let's see. I wish I had a pencil and paper and write all this down so I won't forget. It's probably going to be pretty detailed and fairly complicated. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandal. That was the whole instruction. What? The place where you're standing is holy. Number four of our seven things that we're looking at today, right in the middle of seven is the number four. This captain, C is for captain, this captain of the Lord's army, right before this giant thing that they had to go do, he just said, don't forget to worship. Don't forget to acknowledge me. Put me first. And Joshua is face down. Oh, God, you're holy and you're worthy. And you're perfect and you're exalted. Kind of reminds me of the picture in Revelation 5. Look at this unbelievable painting. This is the Ghent altarpiece in Ghent, Belgium. This was done in 1432. It's oil on panel. Can you see that there's a host of people gathered around there? And there's this lamb right in the middle. And do you see there's a symbolic cross right beside it? It's called adoration of the lamb. And it hearkens to a passage of scripture in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 5. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Don't we sing that in this church? Did you know that came from Revelation 5? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. You know, we sing that all the time. It comes from this marvelous passage of scripture to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Can you see the connection between this passage and Joshua on his face before a man who looks like a military captain who has a drawn sword? And Joshua wanted to know, are you on my side? And he went, <laughs> that's not the way it works. I don't get on your side. You get on mine. Just realize that this is holy ground. Worship the one true God. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh, we can't forget that. As we motor through life and we're thinking, okay, I've got this important thing to do, and I'm supposed to be doing. Sometimes he just wants us to worship. 
Be still, know that I'm God. Don't forget, he is God and God alone and you aren't. And then we come to part five, the conquest. Mm, now it's time to actually go forward and do this hard thing he's given us to do. You know what the instructions were. They were supposed to take the whole army with the guys carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, you know, with the rods going through the rings on that Ark, the priests, and they were supposed to go around the city one time each day for six days, and then just go back to camp, spend the rest of the day in rest, do whatever needs to be done with the kids, help out. And then on the seventh day, they were supposed to go around seven times. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, you think seven might be an important Bible number? You think maybe it is a symbol of completion? The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, because they'd been quiet for a week. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. And the walls begin to crumble. We've done science in the Bible before, and I've shown you the archaeological evidence for these walls coming down, the things that have been discovered. It's a marvelous story. But the walls came down, and the city was conquered, and every single thing was supposed to be burned except the metals, and the metals were brought and dedicated to the Lord. Beautiful. So symbolic. kind of reminds me of the New Testament scriptures about the conquests we're supposed to be making now. Paul said, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Oh, you mean life is kind of a battle when you're a Christian? You better believe it is. If you just passively sit around, evil will take over. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Wow. Paul also said to the Ephesians at the end of that letter, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Wait a minute, didn't I just tell you that throughout the book of Joshua, you keep reading, be strong and courageous. Here we go again. I think there's an echo in here. The Bible has a lot of echoes, and you can hear them in the New Testament. Because he already knew what he was going to do in the Old Testament. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Mm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Okay, so what was that again? Let's see. There was a call and then a confession of faith and then a covenant 
and a captain and a conquest. Now we're at number six, and that's consecration. This is a short one. Consecrate means to set aside something to God. And he had told the people, now all of the stuff that you would consider the spoils of war, you're not getting this one. I want to take mine off the top. And so you burn everything, except you save out the silver and the gold and the bronze and the iron. And those are symbolic in scripture. Silver represents redemption. Gold represents glory. Bronze represents judgment. And iron represents strength. These are reserved for God. And they are his and his alone to give as he wills. And so the people brought all of those things. And that reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So later when they encountered other cities that God had said, this must be devoted to destruction. After the people were conquered, the Israelites got to take the stuff, but not this time. Off the top, the Lord took his and all those metals were brought into the kingdom. So let's see, we had call and confession and covenant and captain and conquest and consecration. And the last one is correction because there was one guy who did not obey. He rebelled, he blew it. His name was Achan. And he found himself a beautiful robe and some silver, some gold. And he took them back to his tent. Apparently his family was in on it. There are scriptures that show that. And he buried it in his tent. Nobody knew about it. Ah, it's no big deal. We mostly did what God said to do, except for when they went to that next town where they were supposed to conquer Ai. They said, oh, that was so easy doing Jericho, and this is such a small town. We can just send 3,000 men to this next one. We'll be assured of a marvelous victory. You see there where the red arrow is, Ai, it was just to the east, excuse me, just to the west of Jericho. But they were routed. Oh, it was so embarrassing. And they lost some lives. About 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. Oh, and Joshua was on his face before God. Oh, God, why have you allowed us this horrible defeat? And God said, oh, get up. There's sin in the camp. You know, word that starts with C number seven is correction. And so the next day, the Lord revealed it to him. They separated out the tribe, and then they separated out the clan, and then they separated out the family, and then they separated out the one person, and Achan was left standing there, and Joshua says, confess, what have you done? He went, well, okay, yeah, I did take that stuff. And you know what those people had to do to make that right? They killed him. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. He does not allow open rebellion to go unpunished. You just can't say, I know what he said, but I decided not to do it. And I'm just going to go forward like nothing happened and call myself a follower of Christ anyway. It doesn't work like that. 
All Israel stoned him, and after they'd stoned the rest, they burned him. But you know what? That led to a victory. The writer of the Hebrews says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Well, there are other interesting stories of conquest in the book of Joshua as we motor on through that we don't have time to talk about. But let me show you the bottom line of the book. You get over to Joshua 8. It says about each one of those wicked peoples that God had said, your time is up. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. A wonderful defeat uh, for the people of Ai after the people of Ai had gotten them the first time because of the sin in the camp. We go on through. Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. I wonder if in your Christian life you're going to have battles, and if you will just trust him and move forward, he'll give you the victory, and you can accomplish the purpose that he has for your life. This is how all the tribes and their lands were laid out when they took over Canaan. He really gave them the land. We get to the end of the book, and it says, after a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, being a very old man, summoned all Israel, and now he's going to sum it all up. Don't you love it when a wise, older person with an overview of everything sums it all up for the ones that are left? He says, I'm very old. Be very strong. What? We already conquered the land of Canaan. Why are you still telling us to be strong? Because it's needed every single day, and it's needed now for us too. Be careful to obey all that's written in the book of the law of Moses. Hear the echo? That was chapter one. Now we're at the end of the book. Without turning aside to the right or to the left, be very careful to love the Lord your God. And after these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 100. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along. 